Welcome to the Boost Hospitality Podcast, Season 6, Episode 9. And in today's episode, I am going to be speaking to Gordy Dutfield of Touchstone Education. I'm going to be quizzing him about no money down and passive income, finding out about his sales background and how he has used that to transfer it into property, speaking to estate agents, speaking to landlords and how he has grown his portfolio and now how he is coaching other people getting into SA. It's a really fascinating interview. Make sure you stick around for the end of this podcast because he gives you a nice little freebie for everybody who reaches out to him and also make sure that you try and pick out his nice little free and easy tip on how he goes about getting contractor bookings. This is the Boost Hospitality Podcast. My name is Mark Simpson. Whatever you are doing right now, please let me know on Twitter at Boostly UK. Go and follow us on Instagram at Boostly UK where I document my day-to-day business startup and how I've grown this business from one customer to over 284 customers helping hospitality owners all over the world, increase their direct bookings, cut down on commission costs and just cutting out the jargon. Thank you very much for tuning in. Next, you're going to hear Gordy. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to uh, the Boost Hospitality Podcast. We are in season six, episode nine. And today we're going to be talking about no money down deals. And um, the gentleman that I've got on to talk about this with today is somebody that I've been following for a while. I'm a massive fan on. Uh, it's called uh, Gordy Duffield. And Gordy, if you could just spend just a few minutes uh, just introducing yourself, your background, where you are right now in the world, and a little bit more about you, and then we'll get on with the topic today. Perfect. Listen, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Um, as most people can tell by my accent, I am from... Glasgow. So for the English people listening in, I do apologize if you do not understand everything I say, but I am going to go slower than what I would usually do if I was speaking to you face to face. So everybody knows Gordy Dutfield as the the rent to rent guy. I got involved in property. Listen, it was only three years ago now uh, when I first set up my first rent to rent. Um, Prior to that, I was involved in sales. Never thought of doing property. I think what's very important, the reason I never thought of getting involved in property was because I thought I needed a lot of money. And this is what we're going to be obviously speaking a bit about today. So within my three years of, of property, um, I've built up a, a fairly large rent-to-rent portfolio. I've got over 40 units now. Um, and I train and I now teach it. I, I, I'm very honest and upfront with everybody. Property is not my passion. Um, property is simply a vehicle that allows me to do what I want to do. Um, but I do love teaching it. I love inspiring it and giving everybody as much knowledge and, and sharing my experience as much as I possibly can. My background before property was sales, so not was never was nothing, nothing to do with property. I wasn't a state agent, um, but I think when we're speaking about it today. The sales side of it has became a really, really handy and the property side of it as well. So I'm an upfront, I'm an honest guy and I hope that comes across in the podcast today because it's going to get raw. Amazing, amazing. All right, so uh, we talked about sales a little bit. Um, what was your motive then from moving from the sales world into property? Uh, you say it was what, three years ago now. So yeah, what, what was the deciding factor for you to go, you know what, I'm going to do a little bit of a career change here. 
Cool, great question. Um, when, just, just to take you back a bit further, when I was 19, um, I had a fairly large sales company. I had over 60 staff at the age of 19. Um, I had an office in London, an office in Glasgow, and I made more money just about then at 19 years old than I actually do now. Um, but I didn't understand money at 19 years old. I thought my business bank card was my fun bank card, and that's what I spent my money on was fun cars, clubbing, all the rest of all the bad stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, when times got tough, I, um, I, I, I've had to shut the company down, unfortunately, and go back to full-time work. So I got into the corporate world. Now, I worked in the corporate world for three years, and any entrepreneur that will know this, they've got a spark and a burn inside them. Now, I lost my spark and burn inside me uh, because I took a huge financial hit from, from earning hundreds of thousands to going into a, a £60,000 a year salary. Uh, I lost all my confidence, but the burn was still there, the desire was still there. And that's when I went and approached Paul Smith, who, who I did my training with, and asked Paul, what do I need to do um, to get involved in the property side of things? How do I set myself free from the demons of this corporate world? Because it is killing me. So that's why I got involved in property. So Paul Smith, for those of you who are watching this, I've got no idea who Paul Smith is. Can you just give us a little, shed a little bit of background to who he is and, uh, and uh, what he teaches and trains and, and how he helps you? Yeah, 100%. So Paul Smith is the CEO, founder of Touchland Education. So um, I think one of the largest wealth education companies in the UK now, considering they've only been running for the last two years. But a background about myself and Paul, I've actually known Paul since I was a little kid. But a lot of people don't actually know. Um, I'm best friends with um, Paul's eldest son, Jack. So Paul, Paul's been a fairly experienced property investor. Um, he's got everything from buy to let's commercial pension investing, service accommodation, which I think most people know him from. Um, and a phenomenal guy, someone I've got huge respect for. So I now still work currently with Paul. I'm a GV partner. I've got businesses with Paul. So still got a very good relationship three years on. Amazing. So something where you've known Paul literally since you were a teenager and then it's come full circle to now working with him. Um, so obviously I was, I was going to ask, what was the deciding factor when you went to um, Touchstone? There's loads of training companies out there, but obviously having that connection to Paul will have definitely helped. Um, so let's move on to the next question then. So what skills do you feel that you've brought over from sales that now helps you to acquire properties and help the people that you train acquire uh, properties? Because I come from a sales background myself. I've done sales, I've done marketing down in London, come out of that sort of the rat race and what, and I've definitely used those sales skills when I've moved into hospitality, when it's the bed and breakfast side of things and, uh, and, the, and the cottages and whatnot. But I'd be interested to see what skills that you've crossed over from, from that world into this. Everything in life is a sale. No matter what you do, everything in effing life is a sale. So let's get clear. When you're out speaking to landlords and trying to cut a rent-to-rent -rent deal with them, you're selling the rent-to-rent -rent deal. When you're out doing negotiations and doing a buy-to-let, you're negotiating prices 
the sales comes in in every aspect of it. From the minute someone picks up the phone to you, you're selling yourself, you're selling the deal. When you're out seeing them, you're selling yourself, you're selling the deal. Everything that you're doing is you're selling. And I think salespeople carry a certain swagger, a certain arrogance, maybe you could say with a lot of them, but a certain confidence. And when you're speaking and trying to negotiate with someone, you need to have a certain set of confidence around you to be taken seriously. Now, the sales side massively benefited me because I've been able to go out, negotiate phenomenal deals with landlords. So for the rent-to-rent center, I never pay a deposit and I never pay rent up front. Without having those sales skills, I've been able to negotiate, build a relationship with the landlord and been able to position and sell the deal as I do, I wouldn't be able to get the deals that I currently get. So from the sales side of it, I've taken a huge amount of the skills that I learned and everything that I did in sales before and applied it to the property side of things. Now, I'm very good at the sales side. I'm very good at getting property. I am not going to lie. I am 100% shit at running my service departments. Here's the story. I got to four SAs, four service departments, and I'm managing them myself. I used to forget to charge guests for staying in my units. I used to forget to organize cleaners, so guests were turning up to my units, and the place was a shit tip. I was terrible at it, 100% terrible at it. But what I understood then was that I was very good at getting the SA units on board, but on the back end, I was terrible at managing it. So it was a lesson learned very quickly, and I can tell you, if I kept bringing the units on and didn't sort out the back end very quickly, uh, the story would have been over within the first four or five months. So this is a, a really good question to move on to then. So you've now got, is it 30 plus properties from doing my research? in the books just now. We've got another nine coming on in the next two and a half months. So when you were at five and you were, you were mint at doing the sales, but, you know, bad at doing the rest of it, yeah. what, was, uh, what did you learn? What was the best practices that you were doing at the time to help you go from, say, five to where, to where you are now with 40 plus? Okay. Um, my goal was always to grow the business. So what I did when I got up to four units, I actually employed a full-time staff member. Now, a lot of people would say, why would you do that? Because that's eating up all your profit. Please understand there would be no profit left if I didn't get that full-time staff member in because there'd be no business. So my vision was always very clear. I'm extremely good at getting the properties, but I'm terrible at managing it. So I hired a full-time member of staff that came in, systemized the business, ran the cleaning teams, dealt with the guests, and this let me focus on what I was really good at. I'm severely dyslexic and I've got ADHD. So I will only, this is the way my mind works, I will only focus on something that I want to do. If I don't want to do it, I will point blank not do it. So I think... That was a huge benefit because it made me realize that, listen, if you just go and get, do the stuff that you're really good at, getting those units on, on the back end of it and employ somebody that's really good at systems, understanding guests, understanding cleaners, it worked in tandem and the business went up and up and up and up. And that's the way the business works very well. What a lot of people do wrong, in my opinion, is they'll get to, they'll see it short term, they'll get to three to four units they're not good at getting on the properties or they're not good at managing the properties and it becomes a job. 
And SA, let's be honest with you, if you don't do this right, this is, a, this, this is worse than a job, dealing with cleaners and dealing with guests and dealing with landlords. If you don't do it right, it is worse than a job. So I made the decision very early on, if I was going to take it seriously and build the business from it, I needed staff in. Nice. And I, I like what you say there. Focus on what you're good at. Focus on what you enjoy doing because otherwise it can really get pressurizing straight on. Um, episode three of this podcast series, we spoke to David and Amanda from the SA Angels and they talk about outsourcing. And, and that is a, a, a real good like correlation, a very, very good sort of go alongside each other is that focus on what you're good at. Focus on the 20% of the activities that bring in 80% of your profit. And yeah. if that means that you have to hire somebody whether it's full-time from the UK, somebody who literally sits alongside you, holds your hand and just say, listen, we've got to do this. Or if it's somebody virtually, it's abroad on the other end of the world, just get people on board to help. You can't do everything. I like that. So there's a really common question that I see all the time in the Facebook groups, whether it's service accommodation or just anything. Um, and basically it goes along the lines of, I've spotted a deal. Now, what do I have to say to the landlord to secure it? So uh, when I say landlord, landlord, letting agents, however you want to phrase it. So they've found the place, they've found the property, the right one for them. They want to get it, they want to secure it, but they don't know what to say. You've obviously got the sales background, got the gift of the gab. What advice would you give to somebody who's right at the very start and they're looking to now approach these uh, landlords and letting agents to get involved in SA? Perfect. Keep it stupid simple. I see people overcomplicating this bloody simple deal by talking about tax, by talking about capital allowances, by talking about all this crazy shit that they really don't actually understand themselves. I mean, I don't even understand it. I always look at what are the pain points that landlords go through on a monthly basis. They get rent arrears, they've got antisocial behavior, um, they may have voids in, in, in their properties. They may have damaged the properties. If you've been a landlord, or most people listen, might be landlords, they'd have went through some sort of pain. When I'm speaking to a landlord, I'm trying to reassure them that I'm taking every single bit of pain that they've had or what they've got just now away from them, and I'm taking full responsibility in that. So let's look at the benefits of the landlord. Number one, they're going to get a five-year guaranteed rental income. Now, there is break clauses in all my contracts that I can break, but they've got a five-year guaranteed rental income. Sorry, there you go, take my phone. So they've got a five-year guaranteed rental income. Second of all, if you put a tenant in somebody else's property or put a tenant in the property, there's no way that a tenant is going to take as good care of it as you're gonna take care of it. Because what you need to remember, that property is the business or the shop window to your business. So if you've got new guests checking in every two days or every week or whatever it may be, that place needs to look spick and span. So the second is they're gonna get their maintenance taken on. Thirdly, what would happen if you put a tenant into a property and they did not pay? Well, number one, you're going to have to go down the solicitor's route, which can take three, four, five months. Then you're going to go to eviction process, which is nine months. So a lot of the landlords that I work with or work with have went through six to nine months, not getting paid rent. I mean, one of the landlords I just dealt with recently, £10,000 in solicitor's fee to evict somebody. If you put me into your property 
and I default on the payment at any point in time, you can evict me straight afterwards. So let's be clear, if I pay my rent on the first of the month and I do not pay my rent in that bank account by the first of that month, by the seventh, I need to leave that property. I've got zero right to be there. So where is the risk? You go and put a tenant into this property, they don't pay their rent at any point in time. You've got an eviction process, you've got uh, no money coming in and you've got solicitor fees. Or you take a gamble with me, I'm gonna furnish this place make it look spick and span, I'm gonna have weekly checks by the cleaners, I'm gonna have monthly health and safety inspections. And best of all, if I default on my payment at any point in time, within one week after it, I've got zero right to be at the property. Who would you rather go with? Take the risk with the tenant that might not pay, or take a risk with me that, yeah, if I don't pay, well, guess what? I'm straight out of that property, I've got no right to be there. To me, that sounds amazing. I'm literally ready to give you the keys, but what do you do then if I say no? Okay. What, okay. What would the reason be that you would say no? What's your objection? Well, for, for me, as maybe being a potential, you know, landlord, well, a landlord or estate agent, if you've gone down that route and you've explained it to me really well, um, and I assume that this does happen. There's people just, just won't get it. Like, why are you not going to be in that property? You know, who are you going to be getting in this property? Are you going to be throwing raves on Airbnb? Or like, what are you, what, what's your actual plan for this, apart from becoming like a part-time brothel? Yeah, okay. So all my properties are corporate-led. So typically, I don't have any city centre party apartments. Number one, all my, it's funny, people asking this question, where are all your properties going? Mine are all in ex-local authority council areas because of the market I target. But listen, if you're working with an estate agent and if you're working with a landlord and you're pitching them the deal and they don't get it and you've tried and you've tried, leave them to it. Don't worry about it because there's a million other landlords out there that are willing to speak to you. And just remember this, because if you're not in the sales world, you'll get a no, you'll get a no, you'll get a no, and then you'll give up. Yeah. It'll take you 20, 30 attempts to get a pitch right. So what I always suggest to people that are trained, jump out of area, go to an area that you don't actually want to operate in and get used to speaking to landlords, get used to speaking to agents, get all the shitty pitches out of the way, all the mistakes out of the way. So when you go into your area, boom, you're ready, you hit them, and you've got your pitch corrected and your pitch perfect. But don't waste time with people that aren't gonna listen to you. I've had hundreds of no's. I still get hundreds of no's. But don't worry about it, because there's loads of people out there that are clever enough to see the massive benefits to it that will say yes. I like that. I like that about going out of your area to an area that you're not even interested to get rid of the so-called sales pitches that are gonna be a no. And, I think people that are listening and watching this will will slowly be starting to realize why you have become so successful in this because you can see the sales mentality. Uh, a lot of this is mindset. You just got to get used to saying, being told no. And I know full well from picking up the phone and calling from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. all of the no's that you will get uh, on, on a day of it being in the life of a sales office. But for every no, there, there will be a yes. So this comes on to the next question and, and you talked about how you source properties. So when you're going to 
a new area, say to speak, or just an area, just you've seen some places that you like and say these nine ones that, have co- that are going to be coming into your portfolio very soon. So what is the sort of checklist that you go by? What do you look for? What is your target niche? Like how do you come up with your target niche? I mean, this would be a real good route to go down. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I operate in 12 different areas of Scotland. So I've got from, if anybody knows Scotland, North, which is Inverness, right down to Glasgow, Dundee, right down to the ferry south, down by Aberdeen and up the coast. So I operate everywhere. Uh, And my model's very simple. I target where the big development's going on. So I'm taking on another nine units in a place called Greenock just now. The reason I'm taking nine units on there is there's 10,000 houses getting built. I am constantly looking for developments. That can be housing developments. That can be energy developments because it's not just when in the energy sector they're setting up solar and windmills, it's the maintenance after. I've already got contracts with people before I even set these units up. Mm. So I'm looking for an area that nobody else is looking for because it's an ex-local authority area or a council house and I'm looking for the developments that go on in around those areas. Um, and a big test for me, this is how I do my market research. People are amazed by it. Jump in the car at 7 o'clock at night on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night and drive around your premier ends, your holiday ends and count how many work vans are in the car park. There's Gordy's market research top tip for you. And that's what I literally do. I'll go around, I'll get the names off the vans, leave a leaflet on it, offer them a different service, pick up the phone and speak to them. That's what I do. Um, so when I'm targeting the area, I'm looking for something that's got big developments where I know there's going to be contractors staying in the area for a long period of time. I like that. I've interviewed a lot of people doing this series. I've seen a lot of posts in Facebook groups and whatnot, but nobody has ever spoken about that little tactical tip to getting bookings. Um, and I love it. Just going in, looking at the premier inns, looking at the travel lodges and get the work vans. And yeah, really good little tip that. I got right. Well, it's a power book, it's just on that one. Uh, they paid me £40,000. Uh, the book has turned into £140,000 direct booking from doing that. That's for 11 months. For somebody is all about direct bookings. I am a massive yeah, yeah, yeah. fan, a massive <laughs> fan of that. All right, so let's get on to it. Let's get down to the, to the, to the nitty-gritty. And this is something that I really wanted to, to chat to you about because it's something that I see a lot out there um, in, in the service accommodation world. So... Yeah. We're going to talk about two things, passive income, no money down. Um, as you've been in this world now for a lot longer than I have, and, and you will have seen all of the marketing spiel when it comes to getting people involved in service accommodation. Now, you can speak from two sides. You can speak from being uh, the guy who's going out and getting the units, and now you're obviously part of the, the Touchstone uh, brand as a trainer, so actively getting people to uh, join the program so you can help them. There's two words, there's two phrases that me from looking from the outside in, it just screams bullshit to me. Passive income, no money down. Now, from you who's on the inside, and um, can you please explain to me, number one, what is no money down? How is it achievable? How is it that people can get away with saying that this service accommodation lack or this property lack is passive income when we all know hospitality is not passive income? It is anything but. Uh, so can you just sort of share your views on it? 
if you think it's achievable, if you think it should be said, and just sort of give your overall opinion on those two things, please. Yeah, love it. So let's kick off with no money down. So if you're buying a house, can you buy a house with no money down? Bollocks. You cannot buy a house without any money. So there's two terms here. Can you buy a house using somebody else's money or using a loan? 100%, of course you can. But can you buy it without any money? No, you need bloody money. So, but within the service accommodation side, so there's two angles I'm gonna go at this. Number one angle, I have got properties that are fully set up for service departments and that I've had to spend no money on that I've had to not take in a deposit and I've got a rent-free period. That's a no money down deal. But I have 43 of these units. I've done that two or three times on a very rare occasion. It's cost me nothing to set up. Have I had to put some soft furnishings, X, Y, Z in it? Yes. But that would be a no money down deal for me. To say that comes around and I can teach every single person to do that, bollocks, because those deals don't come around every single day. But it's a great question. So do you need money to get involved in it? Yeah, you certainly do. Because you've got to look at it in two ways. Number one, you can't jump into this strategy and think, uh, um, Straight away, I'm going to have lots of bookings that are going to cover my rent, cover the cost of my furniture, X, Y, Z. You need to be clever about it. Um, so I don't think people should promote every deal that you do in service departments or, or rent to rent should be promoted as, as no money down. I don't believe in that. You do need money to get involved. I did need money to get involved. Yes, I've got a few properties that I didn't need money to set up. So if you're looking to get involved in it, you don't need a lot of money. You know, you can do things on the cheap. But listen, anyone shouting out, it's a no money down, you don't need any money to get involved and you're going to go and make a thousand pound a month for the next five years off this property. Can it happen yet? Is it likely to happen every single month? No. Yeah, good. I want to put it balanced. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I like that you you say because um, you you see it all the time, and um, you, you 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 can see the market in Spiel, and you can see and and I again speaking from an outside in when it comes to service accommodation, I liken it to MLM, so you know network marketing. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of the terminology gets used in there, gets used in here, and it and it's good to sort of get it from yourself you know you've dealt with it you are in it you're getting more properties all the time yes you can potentially if you can source investors or whatnot you can you can start this business up for a little amount but you have to put in some form of money and definitely what you are sacrificing when you get going is your time and you have to put a lot of effort in i think what a lot of people that i see get going don't realize that people get the deal. They spend all the time getting the property, getting the thing, then you do the furnishing or whatever you need to do to get it ready. You get listed on all these websites and then you think, oh, I'm done. I've got my first booking. Amazing. But that is when the hard work starts because that's when all the moving variables happen because that is when you get guessing, whether it's a contractor or whether it's a guest who is there just for the weekend. And 
I think the um, somebody that I'm going to be interviewing up for very soon, um, Adam Rama, actually tomorrow, who was in Birmingham, he, he said this to me when I met him. It's like he got into it and he, he realizes that he, he wasn't no longer in property, he's in hospitality. And this is oh, where my sort of, I've been dragged into this world coming from the hospitality world. So it's, it's really interesting and I'm, I'm, I'm loving this chat. I'm loving chatting to everybody in it because it just, I think it's really good because my aim with this series is that I know that there is a lot of things that people in the SA world can learn from hospitality, but I know there's so much things from people from the hospitality can learn from the SA world. Yeah, when I teach this or train it from stage, the one thing that I'll always say, this is not a property strategy. It's not, this is a property business. Yeah. This is not a strategy when you stick a tenant in and you let it go for the next X amount of years. Yeah. This is the business. You've got cleaners, you've got guests, you've got payment systems. This is the business, this is not a strategy. Yeah, definitely. Now, let's focus back to you a little bit. Uh, you've built a really good online brand. Um, I see you everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, I see you. I actually, you first came into my world because I was uh, targeted on a Facebook ad, which yeah. was just there and is really, I love how you did it. It was, you were in sort of, say just for example, off the top of my head, you were in say Middlesbrough and I'm in Darlington and you came up and you were sort of just having a, a, a really good video. You were sat on a staircase, you're saying, look guys, I'm in Middlesbrough. Um, everybody's saying I should be in Middlesbrough, but I've heard Darlington is the place to go to get properties. And yeah. it, was a, it was a really cool angle because A, nine out of 10 Facebook ads are boring, salesy, pitchy, and you, you ignore it, you score right past it. Your ad was a, a, what, what I like to call a thumb stopper. You stop the scroll. Uh, and you've just gone on from there. Like you say, your, your, your Facebook lives are, are, are really good, you're enthusiastic. And like you say, you've built up a really good online brand by doing all of this. So how much of your sort of success that you've had can you attain to building a personal brand alongside your portfolio business brand as well? Cool. Perfect. Thank you very much. First of all, it's nice to hear. Um, I think when you're building a personal brand, what a lot of people do, they think this is what the audience will want to see and what the audience will want to hear. I am not a professional guy. It kicks about and I'm not going to watch what I say. People mold themselves into something different when they get in front of a camera. And they'll think it because I need to come across this way because I'm selling this or I'm doing that. What a lot of shit. It is nonsense. I am never, no one's, gonna, no one's ever going to succeed in trying to mold me into something different. I am who I am. I am comfortable in my own skin. And I am an excitable, hyperactive, people call me a bit crazy about that. I am fun. And I'm doing this for the fun. So listen, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. I, am, I still like going out and getting drunk. I still go to Ibiza twice a year. But I work bloody hard when I'm back here in the UK. And I hope that comes across. But I think when you're building a brand, you've got to think what you're doing it for. Has the building a personal brand helped me along the way? 1,000%. Um, I'm involved in buy to let HMOs, commercial, and all my investment is, came from building a personal brand. So I've been using somebody else's money to fund those projects because they've seen me on Facebook. Um, getting properties passed to me from landlords that have seen what I do, 100% that does happen. So I think 
building a personal brand along with your business is important as long as you've got something to offer. Um, I, I, obviously, everyone knows up front, I do training courses, I train rent-to-rent and service accommodation. That is what I do. I'm not hiding that from any, anybody whatsoever. But hopefully, people get a lot of content from, from what I do in the videos. But is it important to build a person, personal brand and has it helped me? Without a question of a doubt. But I hope it comes across in the, the right way. Um, as I said, I've never wanted to mold myself into somebody different. It's important when you're building a brand, you build you. Um, you look at the likes of your Gary V's and your Grand Cardones. I mean, they are who they are, aren't they? And there's no, they are very American. Um, but you can tell their personality is just who they are. And I think what you see a lot of people these days, when they're building their brands and doing their videos, they're trying to be somebody else. They're trying to think, this is who the audience wants to see. Well, Alex, the audience wants to see you. And mm -hmm. um, you're going to get caught out because that's not you. Um, people aren't going to buy into it because you can see when someone's not being genuine. You can see it a mile off. So has it helped me 100%? Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. You, you just, you got to be who you are. And at the end of the day, uh, whether it doesn't matter whether you're speaking in front of one of these cameras or whether you're speaking on stage, which is literally one-on-one, -on -one, if you're trying to put on something that you're not, people can smell it a mile off. And as soon as you start doing that, people won't trust you. And then people just will not want to do business with you if, if you lose that trust factor. So nice. yeah, and you've done that. You've done that very well. Um, all right, so let's talk about the coaching. So you now coach people on how they can get started and they can grow with, with SA. Um, it's a question that I ask everybody, but what is the one mistake that you see your delegates make when they, when they first get started into this world of, of SA? Um, what's the one mistake that they make? It's um, a great question. I think they underestimate that they're actually, um, if broaden it, tell me if I'm going too broad. I think the one mistake people make when they come to do any sort of training course, specifically SA, is that there's a magic bloody wand and you're going to wave it and it's all going to happen for you. I am a, I'm a realist. And when, when you... When I do my training, I'm very active in the sense that I'm getting people to pack up the phones, I'm getting people to speak to landlords. People are scared of work. People want a magic solution. The, the, the course junkies, they go on every single course thinking that they're gonna get one bit of information from Gordy and it's gonna be all bloody good and my essay business is gonna explode. The one mistake people make is they come mentally unprepared thinking that they can come in, learn the knowledge, get three or four properties, become financially free, and sail off into the sunset. I hate to tell you, but you will fail if you come with that mentality. Because I remember when I had four properties and I had no systems and I was dealing with all the issues. I mean, Jesus Christ, if I didn't have a strong mentality and really wanted it, I would have folded there and then. You're gonna come into a world that there's a lot of pitfalls, there's a lot of issues, because there's two things that I can promise you that's gonna go wrong in your life, and it's property, and it's people. And when you mix these two things together, shit is gonna hit the fan, and you need to be bloody prepared for it. So when people come in, a lot of people come in looking for that magic wand. And that magic wand doesn't exist. What exists is putting the systems in place, working hard at it, being resilient. Because 
I believe, I fully believe what I teach, because I've seen the success stories that come from it, I believe what I teach works, because I've seen it work. But the people that make it work are the people that are mentally resilient and ready to work for it. I like that. Um, so you obviously coach, there's loads of people who now um, coach SA. You, you can look on any Facebook oh, group or anywhere. There's loads of them. There's loads of, of people that are doing it. Now, what is some advice that you seem given by your peers that you just simply don't agree with? You don't have to name names, but the advice that, that some are given that you just go, nah, that's wrong, and uh, you, you don't agree with. Okay, um, I disagree with a lot of the strategies that other people teach in other areas. There was a video posted by another trainer um, one week or two weeks ago saying Edinburgh is the best place to get serviced accommodation. I'm like, shit, mate, Edinburgh's got 7,000 units in a tiny little city operating that the council are shutting down left, right and centre. That's, that's the worst place that I'd offer a service department. Areas is number one. Strategy is number two. People always think that you need to go for the big penthouse apartments in the city centre of Manchester, Birmingham, York, whatever it may be, and that's how you're going to get your bookings. That, that, that is very niche. You know, I work with Abby, who's got um, beautiful units in the, the Peak District and Whitby, a very niche market. That's, that's, that's not how it should be done. But number one, the leases probably won't allow it as well. Um, number three, talking about you don't need any money to get involved in this strategy and you don't need any time. Initially, this time and this business, you need to put time in to get it up and running. You know, I, I put a lot of time into it. I was working full time when I got involved and I put all the time in in the evenings because I wanted it to work. Um, you have to sacrifice time. Um, so I think a lot of people, again, um, just what you said back at the start, they, they say that you can come in, you don't need any money, you don't need any time. It's wrong. You yeah. know, it's wrong. Uh, you're selling a dream that's not realistic. And for anyone that's been involved in business or anyone that's got business, you've got to understand that you need to sacrifice and put time and effort in to get something to work. And I think it's... It's morally wrong for people to to say to say otherwise. I like that, really like that. Good. Um, okay, so b before uh, we let everybody know how they can contact you if they uh, want to find out more information, have you got any quick tips that you could share with somebody? Because we're going to have a lot of people watching and listening to yes. this who are in SA who are looking to grow their portfolio. Maybe they've got one or two, but if you've got a couple of quick tips, just one like one big one or a couple of quick little tips. I love the, the uh, going to um, the, the chain hotels and look for the workers' vans. That's a really good one. Have you got any other little ones that you could just leave us with for anybody that's looking to build their, their SA business? 100%. Look in areas that have got, uh, number one, a lot of your premier ends, holiday ends, all those budget hotels, because if you're targeting the contractor market, that's where contractors stay. I always target um, rentals, I know it's different where you are in the country, that are slightly lower. Everybody thinks that you need a beautiful house or a beautiful apartment to run service departments. That's so far from the truth. Most of my apartments are ex-local authority houses. Stop thinking where you would like to stay and start thinking where a contractor would be happy staying. Because my market, again, contractors, what they want is parking directly outside of their house 
direct links and the motorway to get into any major city, so 20 to 30 minutes outside of Glasgow. Number three, only work with landlords that you are going to get on with. You've got to remember, you're going to have a long business relationship with your landlord. If you think a landlord is causing you trouble or issues at the start, walk away from them. Mm -hmm. There's loads of other landlords out there. Yeah. And number four, just don't give up. The strategy works. You've got to make it work. You have to do the work. But just stick in at it because you're going to go through ups and you're going to go through downs. But at the end of it, I promise you, I've seen it, I've done it, it works. You just need to stick in there. Love it. All right. I think it's time. People, if you are watching this, whether it's on the live or on the replay, um, if people would like to get in contact with you, you've, you've arranged a, a really cool little, a little freebie. So I'll leave it for you, Gordy, to explain what that is and how they can uh, reach out to you to get it. Perfect. So if anybody wants to contact me, um, I've got seven top tips for my essay business that, that I released. And I've also got a book when we were talking about what can we give away. <laughs> I totally forgot that I wrote a book called Profit from Property You Do Not Own. So if you want to get in touch with me, my email address is gordon at onyxassets.co.uk. But I think we will leave that, leave it up to you, Mark, where we can put that, where people yeah. can find it. But please get in touch. I love speaking to people. It's what I do every single day. I'm more than happy to send you out my seven top tips. And if you want a copy of the book, just let me know. Amazing. So thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. And uh, a special little we mentioned to Ben Porter Smith, who uh, provided me with a couple of the questions. I have done my homework and he reached out and, <laughs> and uh, it's up to you to figure out which questions that he got me to ask you. So uh, yeah, it was, um, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for, for coming on and doing this. Uh, and thank you to everybody for tuning into the Boostly podcast. Uh, this has been season six uh, we're on episode nine. If this is the first time that you've tuned into one of these podcasts, you've got a whole season to go back on. Uh, go to boostly.co.uk forward slash podcast. Season six has already had Jason Living. We've had Trish McGear talking about how to speak to uh, estate agents. We've had, um, like I say, Amanda and David that came on to talk about outsourcing. We spoke to Nine from Zivu talking channel managers. We've had Elaine Watt. We've had Sally Kemba. Uh, we've had Danny Clark. And there's so many more coming up. If you would like to appear on this Boost Hospitality podcast, all you need to do is send me a message, mark at booster.co.uk. And if you would like to leave one of those lovely five-star reviews, all you need to do is to go to iTunes, hit five stars, leave a bit of feedback, leave a bit of comment, just so we can get this up and up and up the chart so more people can see it. So thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I will see you again for episode 10. Mm -hmm.